As we said earlier, brethren and sisters, it's lovely to be amongst you once again. This small community here, not exactly a spring chicken, but nonetheless, your faith, your perseverance through the struggles of life, stand you in good stead with our Master, because you continue in the faith. You continue to remember him, you continue to study, and you persevere. Before I came into the truth, when I lived with my parents, I used to love to watch television. And I used to love to watch courtroom dramas where two opposing parties would battle verbally to determine the truth of a matter. There's one film in particular which I would recommend to all and it has a very good reputation. I won't go into the characters in it. Um, It's called Twelve Angry Men and it's a courtroom scene where someone is accused of murder and the jury retires Most of the film is set in the jury discussion room. And there are 11 jurors who believe the accused to be guilty. But there are one who has doubts. And he perseveres questioning the other's motives and reasonings behind their decision to accuse this person of murder. And in the end, he produces enough doubt that they cannot deliver a guilty verdict. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends... But it is worth watching, for there are some good moral points that come out. We hold in our hands today the living word of Almighty God, which is our advocate and the decider of truth and guilt. And this living word of God, it is the most powerful thing on this planet. Because it can pierce a person even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We see in our readings for today 
patterns or types. And this theme ironically came about as I watched television during my break at work in, in early hours of the morning. They were watching a, a crime investigation. There were ad- adverts came on and there was an advertisement for another program where a pathologist looks at the corpses and he gets to the truth of how and why they died. And this is exactly what the Bible does, doesn't it? It dissects, it analyzes us. If we let it work in our lives, it will show us the truth. It will show us our true motives for things we do and things we say. And in our pattern, in our readings today, we've seen patterns. And we're going to look at the first and last portions of our readings. And we're reminded of blessings and cursings. So in the second of Kings chapter 7, we see this, this follows on from obviously the, um, previous chapter, chapter 6, where Elisha said, um, we have the um, instance of letting us build a place. So they went and chopped down wood and one lost the axe, of the head of his axe, and it was made to float. Yes, a miracle. Um then we move on in that chapter to where the um, king of Syria was tro- saw troubled, verse 11, called his servants and said to them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Because Elisha, um, he was frustrated and someone had said to him, it is Elisha that knows even the things that you speak in your chamber. And he said, who is it among us that's betraying me? And they said, no one, it's Elisha, he knows it. And he then says, go and spy out where he is that I might send and fetch him. He was told that he was in Dotham. And when the servant of the man of God, verse 15, was risen earlier and went forth, behold, the host compassed the city with horses and chariots. And brethren, he was absolutely afraid. He feared for his life because he trusted, looked in made judgments according to the sight of his eyes. Had he not been with Elisha and seen miracles? And Elisha, he ran and said to Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us 
are more than they that be with them. And I love this chapter, this next verse. Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. That's his mind eye, mind's eye, that he may see what is there. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I don't know about you, but every time I think of that, the I sends a shiver down my spine, the hairs are up on the back of my neck. What a sight to behold, brethren and sisters. What a sight to behold, seeing all this host there on your side. This host of angels and chariots and fire with the power of God to defend you and to keep you safe. So when these men from the king of Syria came to Elisha, this man came and said, What shall we do? The man's eyes were opened. Then Elisha prayed and said, Smite this people. He knew what to do. The Holy Spirit was telling him what to do. And he said it so that this man heard it. And this man saw it happen, that they were blind. They could no longer fight. So, they were smitten with blindness. But what did Elisha do? He led them to the king of Israel, and he wanted to smite them. But Elisha said, no, give them bread and water, and send them away. So there we go, a blessing. God turned the cursing of these people as they went after Elisha into a blessing upon them that they went away and left him alone. I'm not going to go through the next bit. So we'll move on to today's reading because the start of it follows on. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord, because of the famine. Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. And we see this man who effectively denied the Holy Spirit power of God. Why did he do that? Did he not know of all the events of that region in the past? Did he not know of the miracles that Elisha had done and his predecessor, Elijah? These things would have been talked about. No, he suffered, or he allowed himself to suffer from the pride of life. He allowed himself to be rebellious, which in God's sight is is idolatry. But it was, ironically, four unclean people that were to be his downfall. 
For we know the story, they went off, found the food and clothing, and their conscience pricked them. And they took notice of their conscience. And they went and told the king of Israel, so that they were being merciful unto the people. They didn't keep this feast and all this food to themselves. They went so that others could partake of it. A bit like preaching the gospel. We have good news for you. Come and partake of this feast. So there we see a type. And as we say, ironically, this man that effectively blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God met his just end. Now, in Lamentations, chapter 3, I was reminded of Psalm 22. Let's just have a look at Lamentations, chapter 3. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like we are, but he was tempted up to the point of and including death. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. Do we think that's a bit harsh to say that this is how God has treated Christ? Perhaps it's not expressed in the right way. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Is that what that verse is saying? Verse 4. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. Surely there's a reference. Although not a bone of Christ was broken, his body was broken for us. He has set me in dark places. Verse 6. He hath hedged me about, verse 7, that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Chains are usually attached to yokes. But Christ says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. He hath bent, verse 12, his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. Yes, as we say, it pleased the Lord to bruise Christ. And Christ accepted this and confirmed it with the expression, Not my will be done, but thine. 
But look at verse 15. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. How must Christ have felt on that cross? His feelings were extreme enough for him by the Holy Spirit in him to be able to recall Psalm 22 to strengthen himself not to question God as to why he has brought this upon himself Psalm 22 let's look at that shall we Here in verse 1, the psalm of David, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Not much earlier he had been saying, Not my will be done, but thine. So why is he saying that now? He was reciting this psalm to strengthen himself because if you go back to the promises that God made to David where he said, I will raise up a son from my loins, I shall never forsake him. I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. Some people say that he's showing him his humanity. He is reciting this psalm to strengthen himself because it is a prophetic messianic psalm about him. Let's look at verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him then, seeing that he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. And here's the request in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. And my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. And verse 18 how must he have been strengthened when he read this, having seen it happen before his very eyes? They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Brethren and sisters, under this cloth in front of us are the emblems that speak of this man's suffering, of these events that took place in his life 
Deliver my soul, verse 20, from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Lovely word, that darling, isn't it? It means my only one. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And look at verse 22. Here's the turning point in this psalm. Here he sees himself after this momentary pause in his life. For what is death but asleep to us until we awake to that glorious resurrection? Verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. That word fear, fear him. I think that could be translated reverence him. And Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, To this man will I look, even to him that is humble and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth, fears, my word. Him that reverences my word. Was not the word of God in Christ from the age of twelve and upwards, we told, when he was in that temple discussing the law, like a courtroom scene it would have been, where all those prominent people those scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, all men of supposed great learning were being put to shame, if they would but admit it, by a twelve-year-old boy that had the word of God in his heart, in his mind, engraven there to seek out the truth. Verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him, or them that reverence him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. What a wonderful, wonderful prospect for the brethren and sisters of Christ. Their hearts, their desires shall live forever, providing that their desires are that the will of God be done. Right, so, lamentations we see as a prelude to Psalm, or the working out of Psalm 22. So then, moving on to our reading in the first of Corinthians um, chapter 7, sorry, first of Corinthians chapter 16, we have Paul talking about the collections. 
and when he would like to come unto them. But then he said in verse 10, Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. Why did Paul say that? Timothy was there in Paul's stead. And he wanted that, Paul wanted that to be so. For he says, he didn't want Timothy belittled or ridiculed or given any less status than Paul himself. Because Timothy has this indictment about him from Paul. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Timothy was to be as Paul was. There's a type there, isn't there? There's a pattern. Jesus Christ manifest God. God cannot descend to earth and deliver his blessings, his cursings to us, his warnings, his instructions in person, because no man can see God and live. God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And so his plan and purpose was to redeem mankind to himself through an ambassador, a representative of himself and of mankind. Therefore, let no man despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him. Those are words that God could have said of his son Jesus Christ. In fact, he did. He said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And Paul goes on to exhort, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, be strong like men, and let all your things be done with love. In verse 15 we see him um, speaking of the household of Stephanus, that it was the first fruits of Achaia. And they have, my version here says, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves. When we hear the word addicted today I would say that 90% of the time it's associated with drug users who seek pleasure for their mind and for their body and they are addicted to the things which they allow themselves to do but let's turn that round into a blessing 
For if we addict ourselves to the things that God wishes us to do, though we fall and stumble, we pick ourselves up and we try again. That demonstrates faith. If we addict ourselves to the things of God, the things of Christ, then rare remaineth for us a crown of glory. Let's open our mind's eyes, brethren and sisters. Let's not come here routinely. Let's come here spiritually, because these emblems underneath this cloth speak of a man that did God's will. They speak of a man who is now sat down on the right hand of Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of this planet. And if we travel when we go from this place to another let us not look at the surroundings with impunity but let us think along the lines that God has created this for his pleasure how wonderful creation is and how wonderful is the crown of life that will be upon us to appreciate it forevermore. Let us seek out the truth of every matter. Let us love the Lord Jesus Christ so that we be not cursed. Let us love him for all that he has done, for the selfless sacrifice of his will to do the will of his Father. Let us love him that when we partake of these emblems we think of his suffering. Reading Lamentations I omitted to mention that Isaiah 53 came to mind where grief was in every line. We saw him but could not recognize him. His visage, so marred as to be not recognizable. But now we see him risen to the honor and glory of his father, of his father's name. Brethren and sisters, Jesus Christ came to do the will of God, to give honour and glory to his Father's name. That was, if I may use the expression, his prime directive. And within that directive is the remission for our sins. Let's not put that before the honour and glory of our Father, of his name. 
when we praise him, when we pray to him, let it be to the honour and glory of his name, because it is his good pleasure to give us that kingdom. So let us not dwell upon our sins repetitively, mechanically seeking for forgiveness. There are things far more important than that. The honour and glory of the name of Almighty God. This was achieved through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, it is true to say, was addicted to doing God's will. He gave himself entirely to it. So let us now partake of these emblems in remembrance of him, in truth and in sincerity.